Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. It's finally time I've completed The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom and can tell you all about it. This is VGC, a video game podcast with me, Jordan Midler, Chris Scullion, and Pete Donaldson. How are we doing, folks? Chris, welcome back from your sabbatical. How does it feel to be back in the world of the rat race of games journalism? It's lovely. It's, it's it's good to be back, especially good to be back in such short notice because up until three minutes ago, I was transcribing a Japanese interview and then all of a sudden I'm hauled in here um, as the substitute um, with, with no priming, no like research or anything. So this will be a fun one. You got your I kind of iron, bro. Don't worry about it. No, <laughs> you're right. Yeah. yeah. It's my, it's my yeah. brain juice. That's one thing they say about Chris Gullion. They can broadcast on a moment's notice. Um, he is, yeah. He's like, famously. He's like those kind of blokes that are um, p- positioning their camera outside a, a third floor North Korean uh, hotel window uh, broadcasting <laughs> for CNN. And they've, they've just been walking up and they've had to put their trousers. Uh, they're not wearing trousers, but they put the, their suit and, and shirt on their top that, off just for it. That, that, that is my strategy. I point the camera towards the window and the microphone towards a giant fan. Um <laughs> So, so if anyone hears that, that'll be why. That'll be and, of course, and of course, you never wear trousers when it's time to broadcast. Oh, famously. So, no, yeah. famously. Exactly. Many, many a funeral's been ruined. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of things that will make you want to take your trousers off, we'll be talking about The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom in the back half of this show, because that's what I've been doing for the past two weeks of my life. It was funny last week when Lucy was, when Andy was talking to Lucy, be like, oh, Jordan, what are you doing for the rest of the week? And I had to just be like, eh, nothing, <laughs> nothing at all. Contractually Def- nothing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah please don't nothing. <laughs> But before then, we have some headlines starting off with the next Mortal Kombat game will reportedly be called Mortal Kombat 1. It's been reported that the next game in the series will simply be titled Mortal Kombat 1 according to Bill Bill Coon, is that who we're calling it, Chris? Is that how we pronounce that guy's name? I believe so. I believe that's the that's the um, Japanese nomenclature. They believe the mm. uh, for little boys, the, isn't it? Despite being French, <laughs> yeah, I've literally never seen it written down. But according to that, Donny, uh, the who has a track record of uncovering game information prior to the official announcements, the game will be coming to PC, PS Five, Xbox Series, and Switch, and will simply be called. Mortal Kombat 1. This will be the second reboot of the series following Mortal Kombat 9, which also recounted the story of 1 to 3. Chris, how did this uh, hit your ear when this came down the pipe? They've been teasing it for a wee while now. Yeah, it hit my ear like music because I'm a big (laughs) Mortal Kombat fan, but um, I'll admit that I've let I've kind of dropped over the years and I've totally lost all track of the storyline, um, which is a which is a shame because that's arguably one of the best parts about Mortal Kombat these days. Um, but back in the nineties, when I was a, a Mortal Kombat addict, I like soaked in everything I could about um, all the characters <laughs> and all the Earth realm and the underworld underworld and all that kind of stuff. Um, and just over time, just kind of lost track of how complicated it was getting. So if this is a proper reboot, back to the kind of the original plot then suddenly i'm back in the game literally mm. 
Yeah, and P- outside of ripping off the iconic music for the Football Rambles um, end of show uh, kind of tunes, what is your view on Mortal Kombat? Oh yeah, big fan back in the day, but I've not touched one since the 90s, John. I don't, yeah. Every time I, cu- I bump into like a one of those classic kind of uh, arcade Pandora's box sixes, I'll have a go. Um, I've got one in, in, my, in my back room and uh, yeah, I'll have a crack at that. But yeah, I mean, it's very much not a, a series I have any great love for. I had no idea there was much law to it i know they made a film back in in the 90s i remember um you know johnny cage punching goro in the balls how many balls mm. do you reckon goro has four six i don't know I did you would hope six it's yeah. probably an awkward number like three <laughs> yeah <laughs> he's so arch that lad he really is but um but yeah i yeah i've not i've not touched a game since, since the 90s to be honest and th- this game series does have a reputation for rebooting quite a lot they get bored quite quickly and they go all right we're going back to the start again we're making it all up from from, from the beginning yeah it does feel like ed Boon is like i have a really solid first three games i'd made and then after, we'll do the three games and then we'll do some weird shit for a while and then yeah. we'll come back and just start again with your fucking scorpions and your ravens and but yeah it's um it's it's weird that it's also weird obviously that this game was announced by some johnny businessman at warner brothers discovery just being on a, a crackly phone call being like yeah we've got a uh, mortal kombat 12 coming <laughs> do, up uh, do you not think really cool do you not think that like some games really need leaks uh, they, they sort of talk about like <laughs> w- w- the, the new um google um phone the foldable phone uh, was announced yeah. yesterday so all of like the the um phone manufacturer um obsessives on on youtube were talking about this new pixel phone foldable phone and i'm a man who uh, early adopted a galaxy fold like a fucking idiot and so uh, never do that um and so i'm like going oh what else is out there nowadays you know maybe you know the tech sort of uh, come on it's not it's exactly the bloody same it's just you know slightly better camera as usual mobile phone and phones go um but they did make the point that like some phones need leaks no you know if you are a person who, who are in the business of leaking like a xiaomi um, phone nobody cares Xiaomi yeah, needs yeah. you to leak so I think Mortal Kombat needs these leaks needs these kind of like really invested people to make the product bigger than it is because apart from would it be fair to say Chris that, that you know that you're in the minority of still giving a toss about Mortal Kombat in 2023 yeah I'd imagine so I mean fight, the fighting genre is one of those things where there's a there's a hardcore who, mm. who kind of soak up everything about it and then there's a kind of mainstream who'll only dabble from time to time in your Street Fighters your Mortal Kombats or whatever but um, certainly if, if they'd have held on to this until whatever E3 is supposed to be this year um, you kind of get the feeling that would have been kind of Swamped uh, smothered bit, yeah. with all the other big announcements due that week um, or, or the surrounding weeks whereas um, maybe the, the, the kind of Warner Brothers guy mentioning it and then the, the subsequent teasers has kind of forced a hand to kind of maybe reveal it a bit earlier than they'd expected or than they'd originally planned and it might work in its favour because it's it's pretty thin on the ground news-wise recently mm. um, and so now everyone's talking about Mortal Kombat 1 um, whereas had they held fire like a month um, and announced it along with every other game being announced it might have got kind of lost yeah, and Ed Boon also gaslighted a lot of people into thinking he was doing a Marvel game because he kept being like, I'd really like to do a Marvel game, like a Marvel <laughs> fighting game, that'd be brilliant. That, like, that's, that's very much The Miz trying to get the lead Johnny Cage role in the new <laughs> yeah. Street Fighter film. I'd, I'd really actually quite like, I've been working on my splits. I've gone, yeah, but nobody cares, Miz. Yeah. You're not really an actor. Do Mike Mizanin, come on, the real world zone. <laughs> but yeah, as you mentioned, the... Uh, 
I don't know if this has been confirmed yet, but the producer of the Mortal Kombat movie retweeted the article that said that Carl Urban is going to play Johnny right. Cage. Yeah. I mean... Again, a leak. They need leaks. They need leaks. Yeah. I actually completely forgot that they'd recently made another Mortal Kombat film. I was like, oh, they're starting <laughs> the new Mortal Kombat film series. But yeah, Carl Urban's kind of a weird choice. And if you're going to get an actor of that size, obviously it's huge now for the boys and stuff like that. Mm. Is, is this going to be a Johnny Cage-led film? That sounds fucking but insufferable. He's, he's done a lot of yeah. kind of like quite... Carl Urban's done a lot of video game, either video game like Doom or video game adjacent stuff. Like he's a proper otaku's otaku, isn't he, really? Yeah. <laughs> if, if you were ever a leader at Mortal Kombat, Kombat movie it has to be Kano. Kano is my favourite character going back to the day, especially because the original Mortal Kombat movie, like the, the terrible but brilliant one from like the nineties, has one of my favourite lines in any movie ever. And it's not even that good a line, but I used to cite it all the time with my brother. Anytime my brother would come home from school or whatever, we we'd kind of <laughs> always quote it. There's a bit where um, Sonia has been chasing him for whatever reason, and and when the, the tournament turns up and they're all fighting everyone, suddenly Sonia realizes she's got to fight Kano, um, and suddenly Kano just appears on like the beach ready to fight, and he goes, "Hello, baby, did you miss me?" They need to they need to get that line in the next game, and then yeah. I'll, be, I'll be sorted. My, well, I mean, Carl Urban could do that because uh, you know that's that, he's so good at that accent, isn't he? Um, yeah. I would say with uh, <laughs> my favorite. Um, uh, quote from that film is when um, when when uh, Cage gets his sunglasses um, squeezed, smashed up by uh, Goro, and uh, he says, "Those are five hundred dollar glasses." And as like, and, I, and as a kid, I was thinking, I mean that that's that's a why would you spend more than a hundred dollars on some designer sunglasses? You're just going to lose them. And so I've always had this rule because of that film: never spend more than a hundred quid on sunglasses because you're going to lose them. The other rule is never get Christopher Lambert to, to say tournament because he just can't do it. They also say enter the tournament. <laughs> what a film. I want the next film to be led by Bo Raicho, the real Mortal Kombat hero. Um, and this is how he's described on two separate um, wikis, right? The first one, Bo Raicho is an outworldian martial arts teacher and a hero from the Mortal Kombat fighting game series. And a much better description... Bo Raicho is a jovial, obese, drunken master of martial arts. <laughs> That's how I want to be remembered. A yeah. drunken, obese, nice. jovial master of martial arts. But um, <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to this. I, I like the Mortal Kombat story modes. They've been pretty good recently. So it's the kind of thing that I'll get that, play through it. But my heart's with Street Fighter Six. Street Fighter Six mm-hmm. is going to be the fucking game of, not even the generation, the game of games. Well, um, right, the guys. To... June's a bit very busy month for you, John. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy it, mate. Full move lists, please. You're not going to yeah. fucking play it until September. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine between that Diablo and Final Fantasy. I'll, I'll, I'll sneak in a few moments to like have a wash or whatever, but it'll be, it'll be all good. I tell you what. Speaking of guides and fighting games, I, I was digging through my old magazines uh, recently and found an old Street Fighter Two like players guide from back in the day. Mm. And listen, fair play to them the way they did it in the nineties because. For us, it's, it's quite easy to do these things in the grand scheme of things. But back then, obviously, taking photos of the screen to, to yeah. get screenshots and stuff. <laughs> yeah. And they, were, they had little combo guides for every character, and every guide had screenshots for every single hit of the combo. So they obviously had to like record it on VHS or something and then pause it and try and get it not flickering and try and get photos of every single hit. That's dedication. Yeah. No thanks. Glory days. <laughs> 
Yeah, bring it back. This job's, <laughs> this job's too easy now, if you ask me. <laughs> Second story, Private Division signs a new action adventure IP from Pokemon Studio Game Freak. This is Take-Two's publishing label, Private Division. Uh, codename Project Bloom, the title is expected to release in Take-Two's fiscal year 2026, which en- ends in March 2026. Although Game Freak is best known for the Pokemon series, it has released a number of smaller, unrelated games in the past, such as Harmonite, Tembo the Badass Elephant, and Giga Wrecker. No, I didn't make those up. <laughs> Quote, We are thrilled to have the opportunity to create new IP that is bold and tonally different from our prior work, says Game Freak director Kota Furashima. Quote, From the beginning, Private Division was the publisher we wanted to work with on our new game. Their track record and global expertise give us the confidence to create a sweeping new action-adventure game that we can't wait to share more about in the future. Chris, Game Freak, they're known for making pokemon a series mm-hmm. that despite the games not running anywhere close to acceptably has stolen the hearts of more people on earth than any other media franchise so what are you thinking about this that seems like a kind of bigger scope than the previous uh, titles yeah I'm, I'm i'm curious about it because obviously they make their own they make their own uh, kind of smaller titles out with the pocket men franchise but mm. um it's 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 an interesting one because obviously you mentioned harmonite which i love but also pocket card jockey uh, which is on the, the new one kind of recently come out in apple arcade which i adore that game but they're all kind of lowish budget like stuff that they do in their free time um like in between pokemon games that, that some members of staff are allowed to kind of design these smaller projects just to kind of do something different and keep their their brains active i would imagine <laughs> um but this certainly sounds like it's going to be a bigger budget thing um and it's going to be curious to see just quite what the scale is going to be um and how much that's going to infringe on Pokemon development because how much yeah. resources is going to be needed to kind of be pulled away from Pokemon to work on whatever this is. That's the thing it creates a couple of problems for Pokemon one being obviously the new generation just started with Scarlet and Violet so we won't get any new main series games for like five years that's fine that's a switch that's a mid-cycle switch to thing mm-hmm. but obviously they still have to keep up with the DLC and see if this game comes out and runs beautifully and is like aesthetically flawless it's just going to turn so many eyes to pokemon and be like what the fuck why like (laughs) what is the problem here are you being so forced by the the corporate machine to get the games out to line up with the the trading cards and the anime and shit that you can't make the game fucking work well do you not think john that most of the pokemon license is just sitting in boardrooms with pokemon and arguing the toss with lawyers about what you can and can't do with the different characters and and just going through the whole game like that that must be the whole job so you probably have very little time to uh, make the actual video game itself but mm-hmm. on the idea of them doing something that isn't pokemon like this year has been the the year of the terrible pc port and you know pc triple a gaming is in the, is in the toilet apparently um yeah, if you can't get it running on the Nintendo Switch, your last game, if this game is like a triple A budget, big yeah. old departure from what you're used to, working possibly with a, uh, an unfamiliar engine or some unfamiliar middleware, I hope it comes out on PC because this has the tendency, <laughs> this, this has everything. Every box ticked to be in uh, the worst PC part of whatever it is because they've they've barely made any. Their last PC game I think was a game called Tembo the Badass Element, the elephant that you mentioned earlier on. I think that was their last PC part. Like and and it was just like a little two D adventure game, wasn't it? But like yeah. this could be the worst PC part ever because look what they couldn't do on the Switch. 
Yeah, it, 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 that's the thing. Look, what obviously there's only Digital one piece of Digital phones are shit in their pants at the idea. <laughs> their little fucking graphs. Frame time's gone down to two in this scene because they hadn't pre-rendered the fucking... Oh, wow. They're going to have three okay. weeks of content out of this. Alex Bataglia's house explodes when he tries to run it through the <laughs> run it through their fucking frame meister or whatever they do together. Sometimes I wonder, right, I love Digital Foundry. Huge respect to them. They could easily lie like, and no one would know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it could just all be a lot of shit. Just put, just put honestly, when you put this uh, social out, just put a little frame time monitor on the top of this and I'll just go... <laughs> oh, that's my favourite conspiracy of all time. Yeah. The digital foundry just makes it up. Oh, it's like <laughs> Wizard of Oz, just, just full of steam. <laughs> just, there's just nothing behind it. Oh, shout out to digital Speaking foundry, of switch ports, though, like, just to go back to Mortal Kombat really briefly, I, I found it really interesting that if if Mr. Bill Bill Coon's uh, mm-hmm. leak is accurate, that it's coming to PC, PS5, Xbox Series X and S and Switch it's like they're skipping the previous gen so you're stepping down from PS5 to Switch yeah. and obviously the last Mortal Kombat they did a pretty decent job porting that to the Switch but it already had like a PS4 and Xbox One version so the drop down wasn't quite as vast if you're specifically making a game with new gen like current gen systems um, in mind and then expecting to drop that down to the Switch I'm going to be really interested to see how if it kind of maintains the level of quality that the last Mortal Kombat's had I wonder if there was a PS4 and Xbox version of this game quite far along and they just binned them off and still mm-hmm. did the Switch one because it was so Warner's obviously done this before because there was meant to be a PS4 version of Gotham Knights that could bend off that got quite far along as far as I'm aware mm-hmm. they they released the PS4 version of Hogwarts recently but it was like three months later and people have done comparisons and it's quite different in the sense that in the PS5 version there'll be parts of the castle that you walk outside and you can see the whole open world they've mm-hmm. changed that so it's all enclosed so they don't have to load any of the open world so right. maybe it's just a case of the Switch version will make enough money to the point where it is worth keeping on, whereas yeah. it seems that software sales on PS4 and Xbox One certainly have like absolutely fallen off a cliff. So yeah. not much point. And it's not worth everyone making fun of it on Twitter, whereas with the Switch, it just kind of gets the pass of like, oh, it's the Switch, I suppose. But, or it could be one of the streaming ones. But in, instead of kind of like having to modify entire levels that you're kind of enclosed and you don't see the, the open world, why don't you just have a PS4 or Switch hat that your character has to wear? And it, mm. you have to rent, you only have to render three quarters of the screen. It's <laughs> the top, it's just the peak of a baseball cap. And like you, 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 your overheads are, are reduced massively. Yeah, if you, cut off vital, if you cut off Vital Quest information, who cares? Buy a new console, you scrub. <laughs> that's, that's how they should, they should treat yeah. their, their old consumers with absolute you derision. You have to wear the PS4 dunce cap of shame if you're playing on that system. Speaking <laughs> of a cap of shame, Sony has shut down Concrete Genie Studio Pixel Opus. This was a sad and quite surprising one. In a tweet posted on Friday, the California-based studio wrote, quote, Dear friends, our Pixel Opus adventure has come to an end. As we look to new futures, we wanted to say a heartfelt thank you to the millions of passionate players who have supported us and our mission to make beautiful, imaginative games with heart. We are so grateful. The studio was founded in 2014 and launched its first game, Entwined, later that year. The game was announced as a surprise during Sony's E3 conference and was made available the same day. It followed up with Concrete Genie in 2019, which won a load of BAFTAs. It was supposed to be working on a PS5 title in collaboration with Sony Pictures Animation, which the status of which we do not no chris did this surprise you it feels like 
there hasn't been a kind of not that this is massive profile but it's a sony first party shutting down like that seems a bit out of nowhere it is, it's, it's a weird one because I, I, I'll admit I'm not enormously familiar with Pixel Opus's games because I did, I've not I did not played either of them. Um, so, I, but from what I've seen on Twitter, a lot of people are really disappointed, especially um, g- g- given that apparently Concrete Genie was quite well received. So, um, that there's a lot of kind of disappointment that they'll, they won't get to see what um, what what is what this kind of third project is, which presumably is is if not outright cancelled, might have just been. Kind and it totally transforms. I don't know what's going on with that one. Um, so, but, but yeah, it's been a while. Obviously, the, the Sony shut down its Japan studio a while back, um, and I think more the concern is that um, it, it's the, the feeling is that Sony might be focusing more on the blockbustery side of things um, and maybe cutting off some of its more kind of interesting, smaller, more curious titles as a result, um, and. Uh, that could result in kind of more third-person action adventure games and fewer quirky, your kind of loco rocos and yeah, mm, pat and, and pat upon and all that kind of stuff might be fallen by the wayside. And maybe Sony's just relying on indies to to kind of fill that gap, um, and they feel that there's less of a um, th- th- there's less need for them to to do that to experiment in that way. But it's certainly a shame when a- any studio is closed down, especially one that's making kind of critically acclaimed games. Yeah, it, it kind of just contributes to the lack of weirdness in Sony's portfolio that's kind of evaporated. Like Pete, you were you were alive in the nineties. You were in sweaty rooms <laughs> ingesting things you shouldn't. Yeah, like what has been the transition between the way that the PlayStation was originally kind of marketed to like, oh, you come home from the club at four in the morning, off your fucking tits on anything and play a bit of Wipeout, mm-hmm. to now where it's like we are the HBO of video games. Yeah, I guess kind of marketers probably came from films, didn't they, and, and television, and came over and and with experiences like that, they just don't want to bother marketing because with, with if you to market a game that's like a, a third person shooter or an FPS or something you just fucking feed money into the sausage machine and marketing <laughs> comes out of it but with games like this it's it's kind of like as soon as a game like this comes out and a, and a, and a, and a company um, starts pumping out games like this you do sort of go right Excellent, beautiful, stunning, very affordable and cost effective ways of, of creating um, um, video games as well but you do Fear for companies that who specialise in this sort of thing because you like TikTok. You better you've got you've got two years and you got to make a game with a chainsaw, please. <laughs> it's just like yeah. it's just because we understand how to market those. It's 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 the fault of the of, of the marketers. It's the fault of the PR um, uh, industry for, for being unable to market these games. In my opinion, um, but yeah, you're right. I, I think the indie, um, you know, your, your devolvers um, are kind of picking up the slack when it comes to that. But yeah, with, with slightly smaller budgets, sad, really sad. Yeah, and it's when Sony was establishing all those kind of weird games, it was in an era where the whole indie game market didn't exist, so there had to be some kind of first party push towards that, whereas now, as you say, like, Sony is probably much better positioned to just pick a few indies and give them a load of cash, and just, like, okay, give us marketing rights, stuff like that, as opposed Mm. to keeping these smaller scale studios, but I do think Sony needs to, like... At this showcase, which we're not going to chat about, because I've chat about it, chat about, chatted about it before. Christ, um, the, I think we need one or two Sony first-party games that don't look like Horizon or mm. The Last of Us or God of War. It has to give me a fucking random RTS out of nowhere. Give me a fucking uh, a city-building game. Like show yeah. that Sony 
under the Jim Ryan regime is not one kind of game. What what we need is something to infiltrate their their company and just delete all the dirt textures. You know, like to make, <laughs> they'll have a they'll have a picture of a wall and go, that's not dirty enough. We need graffiti. We need we need grime. We need mold. Just delete all of those textures. They can't use them, and they'll have to just think a bit more creatively about how they yeah. represent their worlds. Just give me a fifteen second teaser. That shows Parappa the Rapper's hat. <laughs> yes, and that's all I need. That's me. That's me sorted. That that keep me going for a couple of years. Kick Parappa punch is all in the mind. The final story: Starfield will let you shag. The Entertainment Software <laughs> Ratings Board, the ESRB, has rated Starfield and has shed some light on some of the game's content. Now, it's probably what you expect. It's guns. It's killing. It's blood. Don't give a fuck about that. No. More interestingly, I've got some dialogue after characters quote <laughs> this dialogue is fantastic just this is a warning just, for people listening who haven't heard this mate. yet you're about to hear the, the lines that are going to unlock make up your, your sex life in the future. <laughs> <laughs> give the us a job will be performed by paisley's or trained <laughs> jordan midler <clears throat> life is a sexually transmitted disease that's 100 percent fatal oh I mean, come on. I've read that like 20 times and I still don't understand it. They need to release more trailers. This is a piece of shit. What is the context? (laughs) I I cannot wait. I'm more excited for this game now than I ever have been. There's so many of them here that's like... I'm all for getting a little wild, but next time let's try it without the jetpacks. Does that mean you can pump somebody... With a jetpack on, like what? what? And use the jetpack to thrust, to thrust. so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Thrust, so <laughs> right. just on and off, on and off, on and off. Like, yeah. yeah. I think the problem. I think the problem is from. I don't know. There was somebody else rated it a while back. I can't remember if it was Australia or someone, and it, they had kind of check marks for every category for like sex and violence and drugs and stuff. And under sex, it was like minimal or no sex. So my concern here is that what happens is it's not a mass effect situation where you actually see what's going on. It feels like you remind someone and they say, "Should we take this to the fucking jetpack bedroom?" Um, <laughs> yeah. and, then, and then it'll fade to black, and then it'll fade back with them both lying in bed or putting their clothes back on or whatever and then they'll say those lines so although there will be references to jetpack sex yeah. you won't actually see it see which it. is a real bo- shame. probably a, a good and a bad it, thing it, I mean it makes it sound like they, it was it was um, classified in Australia and then the developers went well we need we need to bring horny Michael in to write some absolute <laughs> grot because to, 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 it only has minimal amounts of sex but I mean talk about seeing stars phew that was amazing <laughs> is one of them yeah. and it's just like I mean, there's sex in it, but I imagine you only ever have sex with one person and then move on because they're not having sex with you again after you've said that. They're just not going <laughs> to. It's also weird that it's also weird that it's a game that's set in a world where traveling through space is just normal. Yeah. yeah. So you wouldn't say like talk about seeing stars. It's like yeah, we get it. We're in fucking space. It's not like it's not like in in real life if you're. Like if you've uh, had uh, coital interactions with someone, and then the next when you're getting ready, can you say, "Well, talk about fucking driving on the motorway." Yeah, that, that, that was like <laughs> talk about going to the shops. That it's was like, out, that was out of this world, or you mean the very standard thing that we all do every day? Thanks. That was that was, that was that 
was Glasgow level shagging. It's like we, we get it. Like, it's set in space. Is it like they don't need to talk about seeing the stars? Space it's Glasgow. Oh, <laughs> the dream. Starfield man. I'm up for it. I, I, I don't. Oh yeah. I, it's like I, I don't re- usually commit to like big games these days because I just have a lot of free time. But I'm, I'm willing to make an exception. And, and sci-fi's and sci-fi's always cheesy with stuff like this. So it kind of fits. Yeah. If this was anywhere else in in in, in the uh, you know in, in the pantheons of fantasy, I think it would be quite you know it'd be it'd poorly way more poorly received but I mean it might be atrocious the writing might be absolutely terrible I'm, I'm, I'm hoping it, it the right this writing means it's not taking itself too seriously yeah um, and is a bit tongue in cheek which would be ideal um, because it's the one thing I always kind of had an issue with a lot, a lot of sci-fi games like Mass Effect and stuff that take themselves very seriously at times um, and yeah. I can't really get into that kind of thing but if this is kind of wink wink like fucking Indiana Jones in space then, then I'm up for it but maybe this is like the most polite and kind of normal lines. I mean, it, it might be like jokes about Uranus and stuff. The rest <laughs> of it might be absolute shit. Oh, I hope so. Oh. BGC is very pro-space shagging. Yeah. Look, folks, we have we've edged you enough. It's time. After the break, I'll be joined by Gaming Bibles, Ewan Moore, to talk about The Legend of Zelda, Tears of the Kingdom. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I know why I am here. And we are back with Gaming Bibles editor Ewan Moore. We've both been down the Tears of the Kingdom mines. Top of the line, uh, Ewan, how are you feeling on the game? Oh, I think it's magnificent. Yep. Uh, yeah. So you're, are you a Breath of the Wild guy? Oh, yeah, very much so. Um, I mean, I know it's one of those, uh, and you've kind of alluded to it before, well, alluded to, and you've been very open about your feelings on Breath of the Wild. Um, for me, 
it's one of the best Zelda games. It's one of my favorite games of all time. Um, so I was really incredibly excited to see what Tears of the Kingdom did. And I guess we'll get more into this in a bit. But for me, what I love about it, and I think for what for, for a few people this is going to be an issue, but for me, Tears of the Kingdom massively doubles down on everything that made Breath of the Wild what it is. And I think that's going to be a point of contention for a lot of people. Yeah. So to, to set it up for people that might not be aware, um, Tears of the Kingdom, it was announced as the sequel to Breath of the Wild and they could they might as well have just called it that because it feels more appropriate than calling it anything else. Um, it's essentially the, the exact same Hyrule map, but now with some kind of verticality and some um, depths as well. And the big change here mechanically is, is that instead of the abilities in the last game, like the bombs and things like that, and the kind of slowdown of time you have the the pura pad which i'm surprised they haven't made into a special edition switch yet because it looks so much like a switch um, yeah. and that gives you the ability to move objects around uh, stick objects together jump through like solid objects above you things like that and for you you and when you started to get to grips with those mechanics how did you feel about them compare them to breath of the wild that kind of thing uh well for a start i think they're a lot more complicated um they definitely take a lot more getting used to um the controls definitely way more fiddly yeah uh the the building especially can really take a while um but I think once you master them, there's a lot more. There's a lot more flexibility to do so much more, just in terms of traversal and puzzle solving, and just the way you engage with the world. I think it just feels so much deeper and richer because you, you know, Ultra Hands. That's that's kind of the big new addition, and it's essentially kind of an advanced version of Magnesis, where you can strap all these random different bits together and see how they work in unison. And I, I mean, it just completely changed the way I engage with the world. I was constantly on the lookout for different parts to see what kind of things I could build. I mean, I spent about half an hour building what was essentially a rocket ship up a mountain. I could have climbed in about 10 minutes before realizing that if you make a rocket ship out of wooden planks, it's gonna it's gonna burn (laughs) it's that simple um but i i for the most part love it i do think that it takes a while to get to grips with though i tend to agree i think that's the bit that stuff is the best part of the game however Mm. and i apologize for being negative so quickly i think the way all of that controls is actually very very bad and very fiddly especially how inelegant it is to like turn things and position things in the way you want to um there's only like two axes of turning so the amount of times that i knew what i wanted to do with a build but i was fighting the actual controls to get it to that point really kind of turned me off and it went from something where in the start of the game you're in this kind of tutorial zone like high up in the sky you've got a couple of shrines to do and you'll come to this river and it'll be, it's basically teaching you okay you chop down these logs you stick them together it makes a boat you go across the river when you can't uh, swim that far and at that point i was like this is great i'm going to fuck about with this so much and that carried me for a couple hours but then when it got to the point especially later on when you unlock some more of the kind of zonai equipment and I was, it was just um so the way that it handles sticking things is there'll, there'll be kind of gentle auto lock with the sticking so it'll stick to a corner it'll stick directly in the middle and the amount of times that it would be telling me that it was going to stick to this this part of the object and then i would move it very slightly and it would like fly to the other fucking side of it and it would fuck everything up that 
really that really pissed me off and i think that's kind of that's kind of my entire problem with the breath of the wild era of zelda that the limitations on things like durability and things like some awkward controls that is what's limiting me having fun with it and that system's kind of the entire like a very good um kind of capture of that especially when later on as you say there's so many puzzles where there is a way that they clearly designed you to do it however if you want to fuck about you can either completely break it or just doing it in a completely extravagant way and i think that's exciting i just wish that the actual act of putting things together controlled slightly better did you have any problem with that yeah and it, it was a pain and it's it's kind of the same as weapon durability in breath of the wild in that i totally see and, and agree with this criticism but my kind of my love and enjoyment of the game was enough to override that frustration which is you know undoubtedly a frustration yeah i was able to overlook it um just because i was having so much fun putting stuff together um and you know there's the uh there's the auto build system which you can unlock a little bit later on which does make things slightly less of a faff as long as you've got the required parts but i mean frankly it was getting to the point where i just spent resources to build something in auto builds regardless because it was just so much quicker and easier than faffing around to put stuff together using yeah. hand. it's also I, I've, I've said this to a few people i think it's quite funny when you get to a section specifically in the temples where there will just be like a supermarket shelf of equipment there that's clearly designed to be like okay this is this is the time where you do this now where i think it's much more powerful for example towards the end of the game there is something very high in the sky that you have to get to and there's no clear way of doing that and that's when it's like oh of course i can just build a ship or build a hot air balloon and fly up there like the moments where it's less obvious is i think it's where it's out of strength like for example in the early part of hyrule there's these guys that are like holding up signs and there's like wooden equipment next to them and that bit's basically designed to teach you like okay put something together that will hold up that sign it's like oh that's kind of a cute introductory phase i couldn't believe that they were like all over the map because towards the last one i was like oh for fuck's sake mate like come on i've done this enough times um on that though one thing that people were curious about shrines shrines are back are you are you a shrine believer or did you fall into the camp that you thought there were somewhat overdone in the first game no i love shrines and i i come from the school of people that play their switch predominantly like handheld Mm. um certainly when i was smashing through breath of the wild back in the day i was commuting back and forth between manchester and nottingham so having having like these bite-sized dungeons i thought really suits the switch and the way i play the switch um so i was delighted to see them back especially as you kind of mentioned before they serve like these mini like scrap heap challenges you, yeah. you just get given shit and it's like use this to get this ball from point a to point b and then it's like you say there's there's clearly an intentional way of doing it but by and large the way you achieve your aim in these shrines is is fully up to you definitely more so than in breath of the wild yeah especially because the obviously breath of the wild had a lot of kind of repeated content down there and it's f- i might have just i might be misremembering this right because i've obviously pl- i've played it says on my switch that i've played over 80 hours of this game since we've had it so it's been a lot but i don't think i've come across two identical shrines yet um yeah i've done like 40 of them and by that point if you've done 40 of them in breath of the wild you've seen the same combat one like five times so like there's clearly a an understanding that that was a criticism of the first game but yeah 
I like the shrines and I think it teaches you to think about the mechanics differently, especially in the ones where there's so little kind of um, instruction as to what to do. It's just like, okay, let me poke around here and see what can go on. I think that those kind of difficult puzzles, I think they could fit a bit better in the game's kind of main content because I thought all that stuff was really, really simple um, in terms of what we'll get onto in a minute, the kind of large, um, the the large kind of uh, dungeon but yeah the 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 shrines are an interesting one once again the shrines are how you get stamina how you get health things like that all that's all that's the same brings me to a lot of this stuff is a lot like breath of the wild don't you think it's a pretty like it's a pretty similar game how did that strike you um i mean as i say i adored breath of the wild and i was very excited to see more of the same one of my biggest concerns i think was that hyrule itself was going to be exactly the same i think that's true to an extent i think large parts of it are very much exactly the same but i also think that there are some surprising and fun changes in the world like you know the sort of the small way that some of the towns have uh, have changed and grown and the sort of the little pockets of evidence that Hyrule is being rebuilt after Breath of the Wild um, and you know sort of going back to Tarrytown which for my money is like one of the best Zelda side quests ever from Breath of the Wild to go back there and see everything it's kind of like when I first played Pokemon Gold and went to Kanto mm-hmm. and it was like over two years later and that was so fun for me as someone who spent so long in Kanto in the original games um, so to come back to the same Hyrule for the first time ever in a Zelda game like the exact same Hyrule that was really exciting for me um, mostly because they like, I spent hundreds of hours in that version of Hyrule so to come back and be asked to save it like I'm not saving it because the game is telling me to I'm saving it because this is a version of Hyrule that I genuinely am invested in and care about now I totally understand for some people it's just going to be well by and large it's the same Hyrule and I see that as a criticism but again for me it's kind of that's one of the strengths for me Mm. that's what I enjoy about it yeah I I'm conflicted. I think, personally, I think that the Sky stuff is a bit underdeveloped, and I was a bit disappointed by, especially after the opening, where you spend some time on that tutorial island, I was like, there's going to be so much here, and outside of when you're kind of forced back up there as part of one of the, the temple quests, like, I thought it was kind of ancillary. I think I think the depths are a bit more interesting. But yeah, it's, it's weird being in Hyrule again, and it was weird being able to think, like, oh, where was that town, and look up a Breath of the Wild map, and just be able to go straight there um but it's so the first thing i did when i when i got down to hyrule i was like okay let me go back up to the church from how you start in the first game and there's like a really cool side quest like hidden in there so that kind of stuff is great and it's obviously been thought about in terms of where are the places people are going to go back to like straight away um obviously the like the 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 forest and stuff like that's a big part of the the late game and stuff and so so it was just someone I was talking to someone about it and they were like it would be it's a bit weird if you're playing Red Dead 2 and you're just in the exact same map whereas in Red Dead 2 obviously they have the massive map and then you go back to the original map later in the game and to me that that makes sense if you consider that like the depths which is underneath Hyrule and the sky if they had the same amount of stuff going on as Hyrule I could almost see that but yeah how, how did you think the whole sky system like the plateaus and that were you into that or did you find it a little bit underdeveloped like i did yeah no i completely agree i think the way you get to the sky 
most of the time is more entertaining than what you find when you're actually up there. So for me, I'd see a mysterious looking island in the distance and I'd spend like 40 minutes trying to cobble together a machine that would get me up there. Um, But yeah, I'd say like eight times out of 10, what I found when I got there wasn't nearly as interesting as the experience of getting up there because it's usually the same kind of uh, robot-y construct boss. Yeah. Or or, or a shrine. Um, Which, you know, is fine and it's a good reward. But yes, I was I was expecting the sky to play more of a role than it ultimately does. So that is a shame. Yeah, it's it's strange, especially when you open the map and you flick to like the sky part of it. You're like, there's really not a lot here. And if you discount stuff that is just shrines, like there's barely anything up in the sky. Um as far as the depths though, like I've I have not explored anywhere near all of the depths, and that's really exciting, especially the first time you go down there and it's like so pitch black, it's like actually unsettling. Um I don't know if they talked about the depths pre-release, but it was a complete shock to me. Like I I jumped down the first chasm and I was like, Oh, this is gonna be like an instant death, or there's a few areas in the game where if you go before you're supposed to, it like turns you back. I was like, Oh, this is clearly late game stuff. And then I went down right to the bottom of it, and I was like, This is this is genuinely unlike anything in breath of the wild and um, what do you think about the depths i love the depths um i think that's so cool and it feels it feels like properly like you say unlike anything in breath of the world it feels properly alien and yeah. just dark and horrible and inhospitable and just full of some real nasty monsters like i accidentally stumbled into a, a gliok lair the other day like came up on the map like gliok nest i was like no. <laughs> um and i think that's where a lot of the building stuff is more useful it's certainly like you know putting together like a, a sort of land rover type vehicle uh, stick some lights on it so you can actually see and just sort of navigate your way forwards across what is mostly quite rough and toxic terrain um yeah i i think it's excellent and i do every time i go down there I end up spending a couple of hours just sort of trying to navigate my way from a uh, point to point to to sort of light it up and chart the area as best i can i was thought i thought it was kind of interesting as an answer to a breath of the wild criticism because there's a lot of people that rightly point out that in breath of the wild there is no reason for you to die because you can't you can carry an, a ridiculous amount of food you heal instantly like all of that stuff you if you have enough hearts like you're basically unstoppable whereas in the depths you can take permanent damage that lasts until you leave the depths so you can get down to like one heart if you step on the wrong area and that comes into play kind of later in the game but yeah i thought when i went down there i was like it gave me minecraft vibes weirdly it was like yeah. when, when you go spelunking in minecraft and you you're really far from your base and you're like mm, i bet you there's some good stuff down here if i can just make it back and there is like you can get really high level weapons really early in the game by going down there but yeah. the enemies are significantly tougher so i thought that was really the stuff in the depths was the kind of stuff i was hoping for from the sky because you can essentially ignore the sky after a certain point whereas you want to revisit the depths yeah and i think what's interesting about the sky is that one of the main things you find up there are maps that lead you down to treasure in the depths yeah so it's kind of like the only point of the sky really is to take you down to the depths so it's it's, it's kind of crazy that they didn't make a bigger song and dance about that part of the map because it is i would say infinitely more interesting than up in the sky yeah it's so uh when i was exploring down the depths i 
I didn't realise at the time, but I stumbled upon basically the last main quest you do before you go and do the last thing, and I was just like, what is what is this big, like, porcelain temple that I can't really do anything in? And there was this, like, thing in the middle of it. I was like, I'm sure I'm supposed to do something here, and then you come back. And that's actually a good transition. The... I could not believe it when I when I played this game and they were like, go to the four corners of Hyrule and recruit these people. I was like, are you taking the piss? Are we seriously doing this again? Are we going to the exact same tribes? Um, so yeah, the one of the first things you'll get told to do is investigate regional phenomena and that leads you to the game's um, main dungeons, which are similar to Breath of the Wild in the sense that they are tied to a specific kind of AI companion who will assist you on that dungeon and then once you're finished, you can summon them. What did you think about these? did you think they were better than the kind of the the boss fight style dungeons in breath of the wild like how did you come across these mm. i think that the abilities you get from the sages are nowhere near as good yeah. as these you got from the uh, champions in breath of the wild i think the dungeons still aren't quite up to what i was hoping for from you know i was i was hoping for a return to like really traditional zelda dungeons and i thought these temples would be the things to deliver it they kind of come close they're certainly better than the divine beasts if only because they're all thematically distinct from one another yeah which i really appreciated and i think the bosses are much better um than just your sort of variations on the same ganon um so yeah a step in the right direction from breath of the wilds but still lacking uh what i think a lot of traditional zelda fans are craving from those challenges yeah i also think it must be it must be really hard to design something like those dungeons if the entire kind of ethos of the game is we are going to give you the tools to break it like as soon as you let players jump through solid objects above them like you can it completely throws certain like platforming challenges out the window the amount of times i've felt like there's been like a little lip on a corner of something that i've just managed to go into and completely skip like parts of the game and obviously you could say well that's what they want you to do but it does make some of the content feel a bit cheap if you can so easily circumvent it um i like the one there's one where you're like um rearranging mirrors to shoot a light and stuff like that and it's like okay that's a bit of lateral thinking that i can't really cheat my way through which i appreciated but some of them seemed a bit they were a bit like one of them is literally just flip like five switches around this ship and i thought getting up to that point was really fun and really kind of um challenging but then when we actually got there um, it wasn't so good the the boss fights are good um like visually they're pretty spectacular um as you mentioned the sages the, the sages become ai companions after you after you complete those challenges and you can turn them off if you want and they almost serve as like difficulty options because see once you have all of them together fighting for you like it makes the game so so easy and i almost like obviously we won't discuss the last the last boss or anything like that but it felt like it was designed to have all of them like it almost becomes like this musou fight when there's so many enemies and things like that so yeah it was it was a bit strange and did you like the sages as characters did any of the storylines from those regional phenomena like do anything for you because i thought they were i don't think this game has a very good story but i think it has good writing if you'll follow me i think there are like i like the dialogue between the characters i like going into the towns and chatting to people and be like oh this is interesting it's quite funny but the overall what we're doing why we're doing it it didn't really work for me yeah i think that's fair um i think it is more successful on a story front than breath of the wild that is not the highest bar uh, yeah. to 
bit too, I would say. Um, I really like Prince Sidon. Um, you know, the, the Zora Prince, I think he's great. And sort of catching up with him again after Breath of the Wild was great fun. My, I suppose my issue there is out of the four sages that you sort of meet and recruit, only one of them is kind of actually someone you haven't met before. Yeah. The other's guys that you've worked with in some capacity in Breath of the Wild, and it's nice to see them again, but it's kind of like, well, we could do a little bit more to change this up than, you know, working with the exact same people as last time. Um, there are flashes here where you can totally see how this started as a DLC and blew well out of proportion. Like, you could see the sky section being added to Breath of the Wild and very little changing. But yeah, I think I think it's, a, it's an interesting one that will be the topic of conversation for the rest of the year. I can't see anything else coming out to kind of top this. I wish this game came out the same year as Elden Ring, so I think that'd be a very enjoyable game of the year fight um but yeah it's been a it's been such a weird experience it's a shit it's not a shame it's a very privileged position to play these games early however i wish i could just show people all the stupid shit that's been happening while i've been like building stuff and they blow up and they f- I fly off in the wrong direction because i've misbalanced the rockets and all that stuff like it is a it is a clip factory um but you and you better you better get back down the mines there's probably a million other things you've not done yet in the game oh yeah i mean god help us all especially you doing the guides man like <laughs> you have my sympathy yeah um, i'd be surprised if most of them are in actual english by the end of this weekend but we persevere i'm not doing the korok seeds i do not care i do not get yeah. paid nearly enough to do the fucking korok seeds yeah. they'll, they'll do everything else do not look away you witness a king's revival and the birth of his new world. And we are back. Chris, as Johnny Nintendo, as Mr. <laughs> as Jonathan, Mario... Jonathan Nintendo to you. <laughs> Sorry, I thought we were on, I thought we were on friendlier terms. But, um, Mr. Nintendo with your fucking Mario and Luigi curtains. Where is your excitement level for Tears of the Kingdom and how angry are you? a scrub like me has played like 80 hours of it <laughs> interestingly my, my excitement level is obviously palpable um, but at the same time I'm, I'm kind of glad that I didn't do this one um, because oh really <laughs> <laughs> sorry because I, I remember doing Breath of the Wild back in the day um, and I, I was kind of freelance at the time and was fortunate enough to kind of to, to just to be trusted to review it on my own site which I still don't really understand to this day but um, even then like I didn't get to finish it in time because it was so big and the review kind of made, had to kind of blatantly explain that by the way I didn't get to finish this but it's, it's amazing um, that shit doesn't fly when you're, when you're writing for like a proper <laughs> web Website, um, and just the way my life is just now we, we've spoken about this in the past in podcasts like as a 40 year old man with a child who writes books now I, I don't have the time to absolutely hoor out Zelda in like two weeks um, and get it all turned around like I think you say in your review you've put 80 hours in it already like I've I've not had 80 hours to scratch my balls. Um, Did you not so, say that so, advert uh, with a man on the bus? Did you not say that oh, yeah, advert? Well, yeah, yeah, that, that's, that's you! Actually, that's I, you, I, that I could, is! I could take Playing a it without headphones, the big fucking nonce. <laughs> look, look, look at Sky and like sigh dreamily. What? Um, Why but, didn't he have headphones on? He was like blaring out. <laughs> everyone he's else in the bus is just hearing like going, uh, 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 uh. <laughs> He's getting that twocked. He's having that taken right off him. But it's, it's weird, that, that kind of sigh at the end of that advert as well. Like, he, he, it's uh, not just like a normal... <sighs> He looks. He looks out at the at the sky, and the sky isn't drab anymore. It's now a nice, yeah. vibrant blue. Um, and Talk he looks about seeing 
and, and stars. And the, the sigh, there's like a weird, like satisfied sigh. He kind of goes. <sighs> so people behind him on the bus are like, are, are, all they can hear is, <clears throat> and then I'm going. <sighs> it's like a oh, mate, fucking get that off. Um, but yeah, the, what, what I was trying to say was that um, I'm looking forward to it, but obviously I, I need a. A period of like of an empty schedule before I buy it, so I won't mm. actually be getting it um, this week because I'm just it's only going to cause problems <laughs> if everything in my life gets <laughs> kind of put aside for Zelda. Um, it's just going to create massive actual work backlogs later. So um, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to save it until I've, I've got a kind of a big journey or a big trip or whatever, and then I'll get it and absolutely rinse it. Mm. Um, I had to be saved from myself. I was talking to a friend of the show, Blessing Adioye Jr. about it, who has reviewed it for Kind of Funny. And I was like, yeah, I, I've been fucking about it. I'm here. And he's like, mate, you need to play the main quest because you've got <laughs> fucking loads to do. I was like, <laughs> shit. Because <laughs> it's so easy just to sit and fuck about. Like, it's a really... It yeah. is an ultimately fuck-aboutable game, which I really appreciated. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's mad. It's mad having so few people to talk about it. And now... When it comes out tomorrow, that is you've all still Twitter will be. But you've well, still got to wait until it, until people have got to the point where you have, or done as much yeah. as you have, surely. If it's anything like the first game, like we are going to be Zelda like all over Twitter for like months and months and months right. to come, like people just making ridiculous things with this Ultra Hand uh, gimmick. It's a Kerbal um, Space Program, isn't it? <laughs> with yeah, logs. it's just going to be it's just gonna Kerbal be Log Program. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I asked on Twitter for people's favourite Zelda memories and I'll, I'll obviously open this to the panel but Chris Wall says it blew my mind as a kid when I learned question Epona or Epona? I would say Epona yeah because it's a pony you don't call it <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what, that's what they had in mind in Japan yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pony <laughs> yeah at Lon Lon Ranch and the song is how she remembers you when you return as an adult <laughs> speaking, <laughs> speaking of something like that one of my pals uh, from Coat Bridge uh, back in Greater Glasgow for, for those not familiar with it um, you, know that horror, you know that horror film um, Insidious mm. uh-huh. Insidious that came out and the guy said have you seen the trick because I review horror films and that in my kind of free time or at least I used to so I've got people back home who like know me as the horror film guy even even just now and, and my pal like when that first came out he said you've seen the trailer for that new film Insidious it looks brilliant I says ah, it looks good. it's a clever title it's a, because it's a about when when it, when it comes up in the trailer, like Insidious, and you think, and you go, "Oh, it actually means the monster is Insidious." <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty Good sure that's stuff. not what Hollywood is thinking. <laughs> Lovely. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Insidious. Insidious. Rob, Rob Saunders, who has <laughs> a bit of experience with Nintendo. Uh, says playing Link to the Past for the first time nothing like it wandering through the foggy forest to retrieve the Master Sword for the first time was great but nothing was crazy as crazy as travelling from the light to the dark world it's weird like Zelda games seem to have this I, I, I assume it's the age you encounter them is why Zelda gets so many people hot under the collar but they, they all have these very whimsical like oh I was I was walking through this area and this happened whereas the first Zelda game I ever played, Wii version of Twilight Princess, and I was like, "Why are people so into this?" <laughs> first of all, it was it was the Wii version, so obviously people said play the GameCube one. But yeah, my 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 Zelda like come to Jesus moment wasn't until I played Wind Waker, and I was like, "Oh, okay, this is fucking mm. this is the one." Um, Chris, you got a, a favorite Zelda moment? Mine's just really 
boring and predictable. It was de- it was like the Hyrule Field in Ocarina. Mm. It's like I, I I I had the first Zelda on the NES and Zelda Two, which is massively underrated. A lot of people don't give that um, the the love it deserves, and obviously Link to the Past, Link's Awakening. But when you leave the the forest at the start of Ocarina and go into Hyrule Field, and suddenly you're like, and in hindsight when you look back, it's it's fucking stupid because yeah. it's, it's probably the size of a football park. But <laughs> but when you but when you go out and you're like, Jesus, this is the biggest <laughs> open world I've ever seen in my life, and it probably fits in one block in Grand Theft Auto now. Yeah. Um, but but you're like, if I if I walk over there for 90 seconds I can reach a farm <laughs> but if I walk over there for a further 120 seconds I'll reach a castle um, and, and despite that you can't walk from one to the other without it turning dark <laughs> like loads of pricks coming up and fighting you um, but yeah so, so for me it's, it's the very boring and predictable seeing Hyrule Field for the first time and going games have changed forever <laughs> like a proper nod Peter Zelda man um my only experience before the last one on Switch uh, was uh, N64 emulation in, like, what would it have been, late 90s? Yeah, kind of like 99, 2000. Uh, and it, I didn't have a particularly fast computer, so that was an absolute nightmare. And I just thought, nice. I don't know what this is. It's just too... It, this is too complex and too big to be playing on a, on a system that just will not run it. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, the last one was... I, I was a little bit like Lucy, um, who was on the show last week, um, in that um, I found the last game just too unfocused and I got stuck on the same thing over and over again, um, fighting the same enemies, um, crafting the same stuff and, and, and working on my same kind of um, spells and stuff. And, and I just... My powers. And I just couldn't... I, I just couldn't find the time to actually invest in getting past it so I, I just found it very unfocused so I put a lot of hours in and a lot of flights a lot of um, bus journeys and car journeys and stuff but I just couldn't get past this bit and I was just like yeah, I, I just had other things to do really I'm, I'm, mm. I don't know why I find Far Cry, the Far Cry games easier <laughs> I just find them more <laughs> focused and more viscerally satisfying like I, the map seems smaller and and there's a bit more variation maybe I, I don't know I don't mm. know so yeah, it's a very unpopular notion to say that the Far Cry games are better than Zelda. <laughs> better than Zelda. But that's why talking. you're hearing it. You're hearing it here on the VGC podcast. <laughs> that's VGC approved. Look, I've, I've, I've been on a worldwide tour for the past couple of years saying mm. that Breath of the Wild isn't as good as people fucking bang on about it. So you're right. You're yeah. right here with me, brother. Yeah. yeah so, 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 so in hindsight, you were the perfect guy to review. If <laughs> 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 I fucking was, because you you read so many reviews today that are just like people who spunk over Breath of the Wild twenty four seven and refuse to look critically at that game, which and don't even and don't even use a jetpack. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about seeing stars. The <laughs> the the problems with Breath of the Wild were so obvious that in Tears of the Kingdom, Nintendo specifically fixed them mechanically. So right, Jordan was right. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. I'm so damn good night. Game. Fucking Anuma agrees with me. <laughs> Game as a service just for Jordan. I, yeah, I mean, with 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 reviewing a game like this, Jordan, mm-hmm. this because um, video I, I, until I started getting involved in this podcast, I'm not sure I realised how insanely tribal um, the different um, fan bases are for an unlovable bit of fucking silicon. Like it's just insane, yeah. absolutely mental stuff, right? I'm, I'm a, I'm a maybe I'm just a bit older, a bit wiser, or I just don't fucking care because I'm normal. <laughs> but like the things you have to 
do, the contortions you have to sort of make or even think about making to get a really pretty simple point across in a review. Words that will get extrapolated, um, discussed, shouted down on socials by Nintendo fans, by Zelda fans. Like, it's it must be so different to reviewing a game 10 years ago. Even just 10 years ago than, 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 than now. It's I, I would not like... I, you know, I, I work on football podcasts, I work on a wrestling podcast, I work on a podcast about Japan, and my job is very much to be a dickhead. Come on, tell a dick joke and then fuck off, right? <laughs> but but, but with video, obviously being a video game critic, like you have to be so much more circumspect than you, than you were... Even five, ten years ago, it's I, I, I do not envy having to review uh, a series so beloved for such crazy people. <laughs> yeah, you just kind of have to make sure that what you say is unimpeachable and that you can defend it because you know that if you leave anything in a review that you're not completely tied up about, that yeah. you don't have the the justification for, that'll be the thing that's quoted on fucking some sweaty wee podcast for the rest of time on yeah. youtube like of with a with a thumbnail that's like oh, games critics go woke over zelda it's yeah, like yeah, yeah, fucking, yeah. there's so there's like a very famous one that happened to ign over a pokemon review like 10 years ago at this point and the thing that people quote from that review wasn't even in the written review it was in the summary at the end that wasn't written by the writer but that still follows them around right it's just yeah nice. one mis- one mistake one inelegant wording and it's so easy to be inelegant because we have so little time to get yeah. this right you're not fucking spending a month on a review like you could be spending like you could write a review and it has to go up in a couple of hours so you just have to be very good at fucking doing it but yeah, yeah it's without being um, without producing a homogeny uh, homogenized product uh, i suppose it's it's uh, ugh. I hate your job I mean, I, yeah. I mean, hate your always, jobs guys <laughs> and it has always been difficult but obviously like it, just social media and, and youtube and stuff makes it harder but mm. even like going back to when i started like we didn't we didn't review pokemon battle revolution on the wii uh, official nintendo magazine and it was purely because the code came in so late yeah and the lead times and magazines are so crazy that by the time the review would have come out it would have been like a month and a half too late and obviously Sod's Law it ended up being a pretty average game and obviously the conspiracy theories were that we deliberately didn't print it to, to save <laughs> Nintendo's <laughs> blushes and stuff and, but yeah but back then I mean all, all our scores get criticised then but the, the, the thing was back then they just came in emails that could easily be ignored and they were just mm. as pathetic and just as banal and it was obviously because like it was because of the official Nintendo magazine and a lot of our readers were a bit younger so you would get reviews you'd get emails in going I can't believe you gave Ace Attorney 87% and then there's like 400 was that Andy Robinson? it yeah. was 400, was, 500 words there's about, a south of the border accent when you're doing an idiots aren't you? And, and it's I also, hear it, you it goes like 400, <laughs> five, 400, 500 words on why I was wrong and such a prick and it goes you gave 87 it's easily worth 88 and then you're like to delete and then you just move on with your life right. but um, it's it's yeah it, it's always it's always been I, I remember criticising magazine and reviews scores from the 80s and 90s but yeah certainly the, the social media and YouTube just makes it far oh, more and vicious and, and people don't forget stuff and it's always like um, like no matter what what um, score you give a game now people have got a catalogue of reviews to compare it with mm. um, just waiting so you say oh what you gave this a 5 but this fucking review from 7 years ago that was written by a completely different person you gave it <laughs> yeah. a 4 and try, like, try and review anything on Xbox without seeing my Plague Tale review and the, and the replies be like oh 
Oh, you gave Plague Tale a fucking two stars. That's clearly a fucking game <laughs> and, of the year. And, and, and you got to remember, like, you know how your is it your cells replace every four years in video game journalism? There's a whole raft of new people every six months, so it's yeah. kind of like <laughs> so you've it's, completely it's weird, replaced. It's weird it though in. because because VGC is so tight knit, and it's mm. just the four of us, and primarily it's just me and Chris reviewing stuff. Mm. Like, <laughs> it's one of the rare websites where you can actually go back and be like, oh, for pretty much every big game yeah. on this side of the table it's me and on this side of the table it's Chris so you can like, very directly compare it but, but then, but yeah. but then not, not to extend this podcast out needlessly long but like I think IGN put a video out um, this week of Vim sort of saying right why don't you review the games that yeah, why, why is everything a 7 out of 10 like, because yeah. there are 13,000 fucking games that come out every month and we've only got a review um, and we what they were saying was that it makes sense for them to review the ones that people are talking about people are excited about people that are trail people that are market you know games that are marketed to them right um, what they should have said was like if I don't review a big game you're not gonna fucking re- you don't care my opinions on power simulator you don't care about PC building simulator and stuff like the, the, the East Germany kind of games um, yeah. like it's kind of like we have to review the, the, the big hitters and they invariably are a homogenised pile of 7 out of 10 every single time <laughs> yeah the, that, that video which has now been deleted was um, right a misstep in my opinion but the the, the reason that like I didn't I, to be that, honest, I didn't watch all of it I just saw a bit of it and I went I, I think, I mean, yeah, I think <laughs> without dwelling too much on it I think the point the overall point they made was a fair one and probably one that we would go along with but certain things said in that video right. were <laughs> extremely wrongly um, <laughs> expressed <laughs> and, and, and it's been rightly deleted yeah. But, yeah. Um, that's why VGC likes to explore the scale I love giving a game 2 out of 5 I fucking <laughs> love it it's, it's better it's to like, give, a, give a game a big old boot isn't it, it honestly See if you give a game a, a, a seven, that's a fucking coward score because, or rather, an eight. No one gets annoyed at an eight. See, no. unless it's a fucking top top tier game, no one fucking blinks an eye at an eight. <laughs> see if you're in the trenches. See if you're saying Gotham Knights is actually all right, like I fucking did. Then you're really fucking suffering. I would recommend anyone who thinks we overscore stuff as a rule. I would politely um, suggest they go back on VGC and look for my review of Bullseye on the Switch. Um, the one of the worst games I've ever had the misfortune of playing. A darts game where you can't throw the darts. Lovely. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, R.I.P. Jim Bowen. Yeah. Um, God rest him. God rest him. He, he once went on the breakfast show that I was working on and uh, said some things about gypsies. <laughs> <laughs> and then Billy appeared and went, before this gets entirely Peter K you can send your questions comments and concerns to podcast at videogameschronicle.com fuck knows what's going on next week I actually I don't think I have a, uh, I don't think I'm reviewing anything between now and next week god I hope not so next week we'll have a bit of fun and lightheartedness before the June which probably kills me thanks for listening you can follow myself on Twitter at Jordan Midler tell me how incorrect I am about Zelda Chris at Scully1888 and Pete at Pete Donaldson, we'd like to thank the great Grant Kirkhope for the VGC podcast theme song. Say goodbye, Chris. Goodbye, Chris. Say goodbye, Pete. Garlic darts! <laughs> Remember as well, life is a sexually transmitted disease and it's a 100% fatal. We hope to be seeing stars with you soon and we'll see you next week. VGC, a video games podcast, is a stack production and part of the ACAST Creative Network. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.